Rolling Dice and Taking Names podcast is sponsored by The Broken Token, creator of high-quality gaming accessories and storage solutions. Visit them online at thebrokentoken.com. Welcome to Rolling Dice and Taking Names. RDTN is a show with two longtime friends that talk about board games, card games, and anything else that grabs their attention. Squirrel! Here are your hosts, the Waldorf and Statler of board gaming podcasts, Marty and Tony. Hey, and welcome back to Rolling Dice and Taking Names, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. I'm Tony. And this is Marty. And this is episode number 60, Don't Look Back. So don't look back, Marty. It's, we're moving forward with this, right? I'm sorry. Now the song is stuck in my head. I know. A new day is breaking. No, I can't do it. I'm not even going to go there, guys. You know better than that. Don't look back. You know, the second album from uh, Boston, follow up to their big uh, self-titled debut album. You know, pretty soon if we keep talking about albums and stuff, people are going to think we're a music type show. But wasn't, wasn't, didn't Don't Look Back come out like eight years after the Boston, the self-proclaimed, the title Boston album? No, no, actually Don't Look Back came out just a few years after. Few it's years. the one after that third stage that dropped when we were in college. That okay. was the the long gap. And Don't Look Back was, was a, I really enjoyed that album too. I, I used to love this song, A Man I'll Never Be. They're kind of yeah. ballady song. Great, great album. Just You can just tell us we're from the 80s. We can't help it. That's just <laughs> the way we are. So um, in this episode, we've got a special guest coming on. Two guys who have been podcasting forever. Okay, we're eight t- years. Okay, that's forever to me. Has the, is the internet even that old? Yeah, it is. <laughs> Before the internet, these Before guys were the, podcasting. That's right. But but we have Donald Dennis and Eric Dewey. They're in the green room waiting to come on the show. And so we're, we're going to keep this kind of light because, you know, when you got guys of that caliber ready to go, you need to get them out here before they leave, before they get in the limo and get out of here. They did to have their own chauffeur bring them over here. You didn't mention they are with the uh, show on board games, which I'm sure everybody knows. But yeah, exactly. So are you ready to go get them, Marty? Uh, let's let's do this. I'm excited about this. So here we go. So Donald Dennis, Eric Dewey, Onboard Games, coming to join the guys from Rolling Dice and Taking Games. Marty, we have some very special guests joining us tonight. I mean, I've heard that on their show, they've been saying, well, when are we going to get invited? Well, guess what? They've been invited. We just don't want to impose on people, do we? Uh, no, we don't. And plus, we're just a little podunk show. And when you have big stars on the show, it's kind of embarrassing to ask, hey, would you come on our little show? But tonight, we are so honored to have from uh, On Board Games, Donald Dennis and Eric Dewey. Thank you for joining us, gentlemen. Woohoo. Thank you for having us. I was waiting to see who the big stars were that were coming. Yeah, really. <laughs> and. And that was Eric, just to to get to establish who was who. You, you didn't see anybody else in the green room, did you, Eric? I mean, if there's someone else back there, let us know. We'll bring them out, too. The problem, they can somebody, join us. Somebody better, right? The problem is, is Eric is like red-green colorblind, so there could have been someone there he couldn't see. It's a valid point there. Couldn't find the room. So for for everybody, if you haven't, if you haven't listened to these two gentlemen, they do an outstanding job. They've been on the air forever in the podcasting realm especially you know when it comes to board gaming so we asked them to come on and we wanted to talk if you haven't listened to their latest show which was called changes and i promise i won't sing and donald which um episode was that i'm sorry i don't have the number i just the title caught me as 151 i'm eric but it's 151 151 okay whoever keeps track eric's in charge of accuracy i'm in charge of being silly. Adequacy? I guess. <laughs> Adequacy, yes. There we go. 
Uh, let me commend you on your naming a, an episode after a song. That was very nice. Well, well I, we did that because we knew that uh, we would be coming on here, and you guys do that like pros, I must say. <laughs> I don't know if it's like pros. Tony does it. So, yeah. But, um, oh. but that's fine. But, I mean, you guys were talking about how has the industry changed since y'all been doing that. And, and you know, Marty and I, we, we admit, we've been doing this 2001 with um, Lord of the Rings, TCG, and it really there was hadn't grown in the Charlotte area. But, I mean, Donald, you and Eric were talking about and how you've seen it changed. And that was a very interesting episode. So I challenge you, in, in less than five minutes, sum it up for us all. How has it really, really changed? What, what's the biggest thing? Well, can I can I jump in before no, you do that? No, because I've already started. <laughs> I want to establish I want to establish a baseline though. Uh, okay. You guys, the uh, a podcast started in two thousand seven, yes. right? So we're talking eight years. A good point. Um, so so you you I call you guys the veterans of board game podcasting because it seems like over the past couple of years, like everybody has a podcast now, right? I mean, it's so easy. Like if Tony and I can do it, anybody can do this. But you guys, I do consider the veterans because you've had such a long running show you know over the over the past eight years so i'm sure that you've seen lots of changes um over that time now you can feed into tony's question just want to give a little background to where you guys are coming from well if we want to talk changes in podcasts uh, one of the things is that podcasts used to dig a lot deeper into here is like strategy and here is you know some deeper looking at games and now there are just so many games coming out that you can't keep up that if we talked five or 10 minutes on a game, people are like, well, why are you wasting so much time talking about one game? It's like you back in your cage. <laughs> yeah. So we got that on the uh, last episode with um, XCOM. You guys spent like 15 minutes talking about one game. It's like, it's hard to cram a lot of material about to cover the game and what it's about in, in that short amount of time. But, but yes, people just want, uh, what, what do you call them? Speeds and feeds. They just want bam, bam. Tell me a little bit about it. What you think of it and move on. I played it last night. Finally, for the first time. And? It's a fantasy flight game. Um, so it's it's very fiddly. Uh, there's a lot going on. And there will be better in sort of this hybrid market. But as it is, it's very tense. And, and it's kind of exciting. Yeah, I agree. Have you played it yet, Eric? No, I haven't. But I want to. Welcome, welcome to the club, buddy. I appreciate <laughs> you. <laughs> so you and Donald can go talk about it for 30 minutes. Okay, do like we did. Donald can talk about it for 30 minutes and, and you can sit there and just ask questions and pretend that you're engaged. Right. But you know, one thing that Don was talking about as far as too many games or so many games coming out. I mean, when we were you know, in the early nineties or, or even earlier than that, I mean, everybody knew all the games cause there weren't that many that came out. You know, there would maybe be one or two or four major board game releases, card game releases a month. Um, if that, and so, you know, the catalogs didn't change a whole lot month to month, and it was real easy to be on top of everything, and and you just became very well versed in these games. And now, and this is something that I've really been struggling with lately, is that I'm I've got games that I haven't played in in a few years, you know, like Power Grid or something, or or Fire and Axe that are really good games that I'm forcing myself to try and get back into play because there's just so many choices. Was there? I guess there probably wasn't as much of a problem with Cult of the New eight years ago when you all started because it's like, well, cult of the new means I bought a game and then like several months later I bought another game. Right. Well, I mean, you could go to in 2000, well, in, I guess 1998, you could go to a convention and you could buy all the hot games and still pack them in your bags and get home. 
Now, if you went to a con and you tried to buy every game that you heard good buzz about, uh, you'd have to hire porters. (laughs) (laughs) Or or like someone who you just had recently on your show, Suzanne, where she had to rent a FedEx truck. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, she's enthusiastic. That's a sign where it's time for an intervention, I think. (laughs) But you could keep up with it, and now you can't. So how how do you guys pick and choose? I mean, what, what are you looking for here? As far as just kind of what we play or what we review? Either. Well, the reviewing uh, is sometimes simpler because they'll show up, you know, on the old doorstep. <laughs> so that, that you know, for some things. Um, and then the purchasing, I, I, for me especially, I, I only usually make one, two or three large purchases a year. You know, I'll buy four or five games because... You know, it's it's my money, and I got to figure out the games that I'm going to play a lot. And the more games I get, the less games I really feel like I should purchase because I just have less time to play. I cheat, and, and I cheat in a couple of ways. One is I work at the library, and I get to buy board games for the library to to be played here in the Georgetown County, South Carolina. So we've got you know we just bought two thousand dollars worth of board games not too long ago. Yay! Uh, so if I see something interesting like XCOM, that's one that we purchase for the library. And the other is I keep an eye on Amazon when there are deals or stuff like that. And I try and know who my friends or what my friends are looking for. So Spirium came on sale for like 12 bucks. And so I posted on Amazon. I said, hey, you guys should buy this. <laughs> so you're a pusher. Aquasphere. Hey, just went on sale for 30, 40% off. Oh, you guys should buy this because I'm kind of interested in it. But I don't spend my money on games usually if I don't know for sure I'm going to like it. So you're a play first, buy if you like it. Yes, usually, unless it's, you know, an impulse purchase of 20 bucks or less. So like I bought uh, One Night Ultimate Werewolf without having played it. I bought Bang the Dice Game without having played it because I knew that they would get in and off the table really quick. Even if I didn't like them, they weren't going to punish me. But over the years that you've been doing this, uh, I guess, how have the games changed? You know, you said you could buy four games and, and have the whole year bought. How have they changed, in your opinion? Are they getting better? Are they getting worse because the market's being flooded? you understand what I'm asking? Yeah. Well, they're definitely getting better, um, both in gameplay and especially in components. Uh, you know, the stuff you could get away with, um, you know, 10 years ago, seven years ago, you really can't get away with now, at least in the marketplace. So, And, and then, yeah, everything seems to be evolving to better and better games. But the neat thing is, is that it doesn't necessarily invalidate earlier games because still there may not be as elegant as current games but they still have their place a lot of the time oh eric you're wrong (laughs) (laughs) okay so yes the bits generally look better usually you open up a game now and unless you're talking about a game that was originally designed to just look cool uh, the games these days are going to sort of kick the ghoulies out of the games that previously existed. Not always, but frequently. However, it seems like the ratios are still the same. They're, you know, like 5% of the games back then that would come out in a year. Amazing. About, uh, you know, 80% total, you know, who cares, we don't care. And a, and almost 20% crap. Just bad games. And, and I think those ratios still fit there. It, but it does feel like there are a lot more games that just weren't polished. They're like, well, we need to hurry up and get this out so that we can get out our next game and we can get out our next game. Let's throw a graphic designer at the problem and, and, and hope it sells. Okay, is everybody doing math? 
Was that one hundred? That was one hundred and ten percent. I said no. It was it was one hundred and five or one hundred and four percent because I said almost twenty percent. I didn't say this exactly twenty percent because I'm the art guy, not the math guy. No, that that was fine. I was just you know we do like to strive go beyond that you know extra percent in the gaming community, and I deserve it. I mean, I I I fully recognize that that I should be griefed. So continue. Yeah, but <laughs> to, to kind of push back on your point, Don. Um, Again, it's, there's quantities, or the the quantities of games produced now are so much greater than they were back then. Um, but I would say there are probably as many mediocre games percentage wise now as there were then. I've lost my point. It just do- evaporated in my head. That happens on our show. Don't worry about it. It's just when people get around us, they just get brain farts <laughs> all the time. Uh, my point is, there seems to be a, a lot more mediocre games now or as many mediocre games percentage-wise now as there were back then. So I don't necessarily think that it's gotten worse. But I also feel like it's kind of the the uh, rising tide raises all ships. So even the mediocre games are better than they were, you know, a while back. Is it the gameplay components or just the the overall that you see is you say the rising tide, you mean everything's getting better? I'm going to say yes and Don's going to jump on me. <laughs> yes, everything <laughs> is getting better. <laughs> That's our goal here. We're trying to pit you two against each other. So go ahead. Uh, Don and Don encourages me to to argue with him more. <laughs> yes, yes, I do. Uh, everything is easier, but I don't think it's necessarily better. It's easier to make a game than it used to be. It's easier yes. to get a game to press. It's easier to take all of these steps, and because the steps are so easy, a bunch of chuckleheads who don't do diligence and try and make the best possible game instead of say, "Oh, I'm going to make this game that I like." And we're going to trust that people think it's a great game. And then they expect us to review it because, hey, we've got a podcast and we owe them that. That that sort of gets on, you know, bothers me a little bit. But then you have some companies like, well, we'll use Mayfair because Mayfair has got us on their review list. I will rag on their games and I'll say, this is an ugly game or this is a bad game. But then again, Murano comes out and it's like, what do I like? I like apparently playing uh, playing Murano. And so they're professional. They don't take me to task just because... I grief them about their their misfires. Um, by the same t- token, when I say great things about their games, they don't ever say thank you for saying nice things about your games. But another box will show up in three months, and and I'll get to start the process all over again. How about you guys? Oh, I don't know. I, I have no opinion on this show, Tony. Yeah, right. <laughs> I've seen how it's we've just gotten into, quote, the board game side of it. If I were to compare it growing up to the games I've played, yeah, the games are so much more involved. But like I said... When we started this, discovering what board gaming was and what we originally had this podcast about, you know, it's a, it's an amazing adventure. That's why we were kind of hoping you guys would say, I mean, how has it changed for us? Because to me and Marty, it's like, oh, look at all the shiny. And for you guys, it's kind of like what I'm hearing you say is, yeah, there's a lot of shiny, but, you know, you can polish Oh, I almost use an expression we use it at work. You can polish something and it's still something. You know what right. I'm saying? Well, okay. So I will give Eric this one thing is that games used to be designed as an experiential thing. It's like you're going to play, and we use this example on our, on our show, you're going to play Junta and you're going to get this Junta experience for four hours, right? Now, if you play it, you can get that whole experience in 30 minutes because they've paid attention to pacing. It's like playing a game or reading a book from before figured out what literature was. <laughs> you know, oh, we're going to keep talking and talking and talking, and you're going to have to sit through all this nonsense, and now we have pacing. So all of a sudden, some books are more attractive to other people. To your point, 
I think if I were to have jumped in and somebody would have, oh, I don't know, started me out with Twilight um, Imperium, I would have gone running from this hobby. Yeah, especially the first one. Right. Or I don't care if it's the third or the redone of the of the fifth. I don't, you know, whatever. I would, if you told me a game's going to take me six hours in this hobby, I would have run from it. But at least now with the variety that's out there, maybe not so much. Did you want to join the next podcast or diplomacy game? I'm running. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let me ask you this. So so we talked about the uh, the quantity of games have obviously increased. But you're talking about the ratios being about the same as far as good games to to mediocre games. Over the years, eight, ten years, have you seen the same growth in new game mechanics or new gameplay? Or is it just rehashing of the old stuff? Here's the tricky part about answering some of these questions is that sometimes Don and I fall into the jaded gamer. You know, oh, we've seen that before. And so... Something that is new and exciting to one player, you know, is sort of old hat to, to us on occasion. Um, but I don't see, uh, the, there seems to be a cycle of new mechanics that really grab attention. You know, um, co-ops got real big for, you know, the pandemic and Lord of the Rings and those kinds of things really got big for a while. Deck building, of course, got big. They just sort of come in cycles. Um, you know, when, when Settlers of Catan hit, the big idea there was... Well, it was multiples, but there was, uh, you know, no player elimination. It could be played in under an hour and a half. It had a random board. I mean, all of these things were were kind of new and exciting. And so, of course, the Euro game uh, craze hit. And so there are, I think it's just kind of cycles of different things that happen. And then these games all sort of jump onto that and then tweak that format and then move on whenever the next thing happens. It's, it's kind of like a Steffenfeld game, which is to say... We're going to throw all these things at you, and you just have to try and decide how to compile them into the game. And hopefully somebody is going to make a collection that, that is a success. And it really, sometimes you sit down in a new game, and you're saying, oh, I see you are combining elements from this and this and this, and what made you think that was a good idea? And other times you go, oh, I love Rondell mechanics, and I also like worker placement, and this and that. And it will fall into place where it's a great game. So a lot of it is iteration. So have you seen anything, any game over the past two or three years that as a jaded gamer, you was like, okay, that's different. That's new. You look at something like, say, One Night Ultimate Werewolf that takes all of the, and this is the stuff that's really been impressing me lately, is that it takes all of this interaction and playability and all that and condenses it down into like 10 minutes of play. Um, You know, that one or Love Letter uh, or these kinds of games that can really intensify the game, or distill is probably a better word, distill down the game essence to just this point of it. And it's so much fun, and as soon as you're done, you're like, oh, let's do it again, let's do it again. Yeah, see, I was just wondering that, about that, because, see, for me, a mechanic that kind of stuck out to me as new and, and different was deck building. So when Dominion came on the scene, for me, it's like, oh, I had never really seen anything like that. Not to say it, there, there may have been something else kind of like it, but that just kind of, that's one of those examples for me that kind of jumped out. It's like, ah, oh, this is something different. That's true. And and with Dominion, when I first played it, it had sort of all the kinds of cards that you could pick. And I was at a con and they were doing a demo of it before it was published. And I was like, this looks neat. I can see the possibilities. And then I played the first set that was released for it. And I thought, this is a very small part of what's probably a very good game. I understand that if you get the, you know, $800 worth of expansions, it is an incredible game. But... 
I have not done that. But yeah, I mean, that is clearly an example of some sort of revolutionary mechanic, you know, Donald X. Vaccarino came up with and definitely changed uh, board gaming for a while. And uh, and so, yeah, I, I think these things tend to come out every four or five years. There'll be some sort of new, exciting kind of change, and then suddenly there'll be a whole bunch of games kind of like it. You know, CCGs, when Magic the Gathering came out, obviously is a it's another perfect example of that. All right, so, Donald, you mentioned this earlier when we were talking about how you were trying to get your friends, you were pimping them out, say, go buy this game and buy that game. But as ambassadors to board gaming, as it gets more and more oh, I don't know, traction. How are you handling that f- for being in this podcasting world so long? I mean, you know, people look for you to review. If anybody buys a game or doesn't buy a game exclusively on my opinion of it, which is sometimes incoherent at best, then then I think they might be asking for some trouble. But on the other hand, that could be said with any media personality, unless they really know me, unless they've already listened to the show and they know, oh, well, Donald just doesn't like this game because it's ugly and the rule book's tough to understand. I'm still going to like the game. Then you've got to sort of figure out and find the landscape. So I think you've got to approach it separately from being a media personality. Yeah. And I'll be honest with you. um, It isn't until I go to a convention or something and someone talks to me or we get emails that I really realize that other people listen to our show. (laughs) Um, You know, a lot of times I feel it's just Don and I talking. And if anyone else hears it, you know, that's just a bonus. All right. So here's one thing. It transitions to something else besides games. Over the past eight to 10 years, have you seen the people who are in this hobby change? Obviously, there's been growth in the hobby, but are the people in the hobby different? They bathe more often, really. They bathe more often. That is true. You know, <laughs> that that is a that is a joke, but it's not a joke. I mean, the the I remember my first couple of Gen Cons. I mean, there was a funk in Gen Con land. Um and then later ones, you know, it's not been so bad. Like at BGG Con, there was no funk. So there is something to be said that for better hygiene. <laughs> so, so over the years, uh, we've learned to have more better sanitation. We've grown boxes. up. Well, that, that's good. I wonder if it's correlated to the uh, game stores that aren't, you know, that have more open window space. Because you know, it used to be that the game store was just this little dark, dank place, but now it's starting to get a little more light into it. Oh, that, and you know, that is a huge point. Something that that I wanted to bring up was, it used to be that. The guy who ran the game store could afford to be the churlish purveyor of the gaming arts. You know, maybe he has a thousand Dr. Pepper cans scattered around his store or 15 cats or whatever it was. You could get away with that back in the day. But since now what I have is my friend Amazon who makes an effort to not piss me off every time I walk into their store. That game stores sort of have to balance with the, well, I know Don's kind of weird and he has definite opinions, so I'm not going to... uh, going to torque him off when he walks in the door just because I'd like for him to come back and shop here. Where back in the day, there was one store in the area. You mail order was an unholy pain. And so, yes, getting your games is so much easier now that game stores, I think, have improved either just because of the evolution or the dead and the dying of the bad, or I, I don't know why, but yay. Yeah. No, no, yeah. Like, but after 2007, 2008, you know, with the econ- economy between that and, and, like you said, mail order, any of those Android dungeon type uh, game stores have pretty much faded out. 
you know, you'll still find them, of course, but they're they're on their last legs uh, unless they have some sort of really vibrant ma- magic trade going on. So basically, just competition that drove all that because I guess as more people get into the hobby, there's probably um, more stores that are popping up, and like you said, the mail order thing, and you've got to make it a pleasant experience. Like our local store, very fortunate, a lot of windows, very open, very clean. You know, it's 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 almost like a uh, it's just a very nice retail environment with tables where you can play games. So it's very warming and very inviting, and it's not intimidating for those who not, aren't into gaming to walk into the store. Yeah, we uh, over. Before Christmas, I guess, I had had some friends over, and, and some of those friends were our children's pastor uh, and his wife. Uh, my wife and I teach fourth grade Sunday school in our church. And so we played One Night Ultimate Werewolf, uh, and they loved it. And so I get the question, the loaded question, where can I get this game? And so usually I look at the person who's asking, run through the game stores in town, and decide whether or not to tell them to go there or Target or Amazon. Uh, And of course, in the case of this game, you couldn't get it at Target. And so I was like, well, you know what? There is a game store. Wizards Asylum is is one of our local game stores. And it's it's a very nerdy store, you know, comic books and stuff. But it's clean. It's well lit. The people are friendly. So, you know, I I didn't feel bad or nervous about sending them there. And... uh, what was really funny was them talking about the their encounters with people there and and uh you know it was like well they weren't as weird as i thought they would be <laughs> that kind of stuff <laughs> so so one more thing you mentioned about going to gen cons early what was the earliest each of you went to gen con 88 i think 80 yeah 88 89 yeah i think i was 93 94 okay so we got to hear this what is the difference between gen con then and gen con now i couldn't tell you i haven't been to gen con since it moved to its new location yeah we yeah we did we did milwaukee uh my last year at gen con was the last year in milwaukee oh wow i I would love for you y'all to go again and see how it's changed things i bet it just blow your mind well go to patreon.com slash obg and pledge lots of money and (laughs) there you go send us to gen con so how many people were attending uh, at milwaukee with the last year that y'all that you went it was still pretty big. I don't remember the numbers. It wasn't as big as it is now. I, I heard fifteen thousand, but you can't you can't believe whether those were just turnstile numbers of or badge days. They you know, they, they weren't probably very honest either. So so who can say? So probably in the range are a little bit bigger than Origins is today. Because Origins runs around ten thousand right now, ten eleven thousand. Yeah, it was definitely the twelve to fifteen thousand range. Y'all have been through a lot, and then one one more thing: How has the podcast landscape changed since you started this your show? When we started our show, it was possible to have sort of a generic board game show. You know, just being about board games was probably enough. But nowadays, I think you have to have some sort of an angle. I mean, we did have an angle. We had Scott Nicholson as was our angle. Yeah, that was, that was exactly right. Right. Um, but, you know, it wasn't sort of a generic, oh, we'll talk about this. Now you sort of have to kind of have a focus, uh, much like you guys do. Oh, Tony, we're focused. Did you hear that? <laughs> uh, we're rough and focused. If a rabbit hole is focused, <laughs> yes, you guys are focused. <laughs> Squirrel. <laughs> Excellent stuff, guys. But uh, one thing I wanted to... See, now, look, Eric, you just caused the brain fart to come my way. Holy freaking cow. That's all right. That's all right. Okay, well, how how else have podcasts changed? Well, now there is sort of a central place on Board Game Geek where everybody can do it. And, of course, you have the the Dice Tower, which, you know, was always one of the big shows. Now it is sort of the unstoppable behemoth of board game podcasts that would require some kind of scandal 
or you know a big feud between Eric and Tom, something like that to to keep them from being the top dog. It's it's really maybe amazing. A terrible accident. <laughs> I say we knock that empire over and take it for ourselves. <laughs> We'll share with you. I don't want. I don't want to dedicate that much time to it. Trust me. No, I, I just. I just remembered what it was. So, would you have ever thought in 2007 that you could actually have a successful YouTube series or video series on reviews or teaching people how to play or anything like that? What, did he? Would he even fathom your mind about that before we jump over to rank them? Well, yes, because our original co-host Scott Nicholson had already done board games with Scott at that point, True. and because of his you know, he was doing it. It's like, you know, somebody should start a podcast. And then he looked right at me. So I'm like, okay, fine. I'll start a podcast. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and so just, just give us plenty of room on your coattails, Scott, and we'll, we'll walk along with you. <laughs> you all, and I put you up there with, with the, the Tom Vassals of the world were, were pioneers in the board game media content creators, you know, Scott Nicholson on the YouTube and Tom Vassal early on making, you know, his, his early reviews and podcasts and you, you guys were early on and, and we appreciate you trailblazing that path for the rest of us. Now I'm sure a lot of you are like, I wish these guys would get out of the way and just leave us alone. I like the old days, but Hey, you know, so one of the things was, is we were one of the first podcasts that stuck around for any length that were not co-located because I moved down to Maryland. Eric was always in Oklahoma and Scott was in New York. And so from early on, we had to do uh, an inordinate amount of editing to make me sound not quite like a lunatic uh, and and to make everything sync up. But strangely enough, the software that we use and the way we get the show done, it's only changed because of Google and uh, Google Drive and the ability to put our show notes together in a better place. Other than that, everything's the same. <laughs> we just learned a little bit more over time. We're slow learners, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I mean, so Tony just uh, sent me a picture the other day of, uh, you know, there's the podcasting for dummies book. And I told him, I said, why didn't you get this two years ago? That would have helped us out a lot. So now that now there's um, a material out there to help, help you get off the ground where you, you, uh, YouTube kind of had to like find out on your own how to do all this. Cause podcasting is really just come into, you know, a mature sort of market over the past several years. I thought it was going away. I didn't know. So it's actually matured into its own thing now. I mean, there's a lot of big podcasts. I mean, get out of board gaming. There's a lot of big podcasts mm-hmm. out there right now that still you that are now using this medium and it's generating money for people. I mean, I look at you know the very successful Chris Hardwick who started the Nerdist and the Nerdist podcast and all the money that guy's making and look what he's doing now. Holy right, cow! Right, right. Well, and since you can go directly to funders and say, "Hey, give us money over Patreon or do a Kickstarter campaign or whatever," you know, it's like for the longest time, Eric and I were just kind of you know, sneaking out dollars and pennies from, you know, our lunches and throwing them at the show so that we would be able to afford the hosting and whatnot. And finally we said, you know, there's this Patreon thing. We don't have to pay for our show anymore. Our listeners are. And how, how do you guys pay for yours? How do you fund your show? Well, I just take money out of my wife's wallet. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're, we're still doing what y'all used to do. We're, I don't eat lunch <laughs> except when we have our podcast meetings at Bojangles and we both get our, you know, split a $5 meal deal. I love me some Bojangles. <laughs> you guys got it right there. That's our weekly lunch meeting for, for a show meeting and a, a quick game of something. By the way, this week I get the thigh. <laughs> Dang it. I like, you know, I like the dark meat. I love this show. <laughs> I love this show. <laughs> we would love for you to, to participate in our New, uh, it's not really new anymore, is it, Tony? This is probably about the fifth time we've done it now, so we'll stop saying new. In our game, 
rank them. Here's how this is going to work. We are going to present you with three different items. Each of us, Tony, have two of piece. And you can rank those items from one to three in any order you like. You just pick how you want to order them. And if you want to, you can tell us how it is. Do you understand the rules of this game? Did you just tell me you were going to give us two games each and we had to rank them one to three? I'm sorry. Tony and I each have, I may have said it wrong. Tony and I have two questions. Each of us has. Yes. Wow, let's say let's say this. No, maybe this. Maybe I should say, "Hey, get welcome to this brand new game called Rankum, where each of us is going to give you a list of three items." Oh yes, okay, that makes sense. But we both have two <laughs> questions to ask for a total of four. Okay, I've never played this game before. Tony, you tell them what the rules are. You're going to hear us tell you three things. You rank them however you want to rank them, and then I'm, I've got two list marty's got two lists we're going to alternate and we'll go go we'll say donald rank these (laughs) eric rank these marty rank these here's why and tell us why you ranked them that way because that may that's that's the whole fun of it and unlike some people who get on this show don't suddenly say something like oh i don't know chuck norris or something just (laughs) stick to the rules okay anything but chuck norris see it's like explaining the infield fly rule nobody's really sure how that works but you know we'll just go with it (laughs) yeah so so here we go do you understand the rules of this game? Because we sure don't. Yes. To the best of my knowledge. Okay, here we go. <laughs> my first one. And this is because your show started in 2007. And here were the top three rated games from 2007. And you put them in any order you want. Agricola, Race for the Galaxy, Pandemic. Well, for me, it's Pandemic because I don't really like either <laughs> one of the others. So it's it's Pandemic tied for first and second, and then uh, Race for the Galaxy and Agricola tied for third. But if I have to put them in order, I'll put uh, Agricola above Race for the Galaxy. Well, I, I would put Agricola first because I enjoy playing that slightly more than Pandemic. Although I'm struggling because Pandemic is such a great game to, to introduce to people. But I put Agricola first. Uh, and then Pandemic, which, interestingly, I don't know if you guys have been playing any Pandemic lately, but I have gotten worse at that game. <laughs> I used to win, and now I lose all the time, so I'm not sure what that says. Oh, Lord, I'm just going to sit back and let you and Tony talk, because here they go. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Eric, I'll invite you back. We'll kick Donald. Donald and Marty can go to the green room. You and I can just talk about Pandemic strategy, okay? There we go. And then um, Race for the Galaxy. You know, I get it, but I don't really enjoy it. I'm always sitting there kind of doing my best. I'm like, hey, my society is kind of, why does this guy have 15 more cards than me? All right, Marty, it's obvious for me, and I'm going to rank them based on how much I've played the game. So Pandemic, Agricola, Race for the Galaxy. Pandemic, every month, uh, Agricola, twice, Race for the Galaxy, never. By choice or by happenstance? <laughs> because we're too late to the game. I mean, it's like, like Marty just said, it came out in 2007. It's gone. I'm, I'm, I'm still on the, the wave the, you know, the, of all this newness. So real quick then, have you uh, played Puerto Rico? Yes, love it. Love Puerto Rico. Okay. Well, I think we're the only two people left that enjoy Puerto Rico. That's the thing. You know, it's like, oh, I liked Puerto Rico five years ago. I don't want to play it again. You know, that sort of attitude. I still like it. I didn't start liking Puerto Rico until last year. Yeah, and it's funny. I've, I've said on this show before, as far as classic games, I love that game. I still love that game, and it still sickens me that I did not buy the deluxe edition when it came out two years ago. Did that one come with live settlers? Live settlers. <laughs> to move all your pieces around? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> 
Um, for me, the ranking is the same way as uh, Tony's. It's Pandemic, Agricola, and uh, Race for the Galaxy, and pretty much for about the same reasons uh, Tony said. Next question. The three items are board game production, board game review, board game design. You know, I'm really fascinated by board game production, especially lately with, you know, things like print-on-demand opportunities and especially like card stuff Um, because cards are so much better than they used to be when it comes to like short runs things. So I do board game production first. Board game design is always fun, except it's so much fun and easy to do when you get the first, I don't know, third to a halfway done, and then all that's left is sort of the grunt honing of the game, and that gets to be a little a little difficult. And then game reviews, while I love playing games, gaming reviewing games is so much fun until you get the game that you don't really want to play and you but you still have to review it. <laughs> See, I like reviewing games that I love or hate. Either one of those is a lot of fun to me, which, you know, either brings the designer's joy or fear. Um, so I would say that I think the design of the game is probably the most important once I get into the game, but the production of the game is going to get me to the table first. So production, um, design, and the last one was what, reviews? Yeah, reviews don't matter. <laughs> It's going to be a uh, design because I'm I'm just amazed by some of these games these people come up with from their brains and I'm just it just floors me some of the designs that they come up with. Next is production. Uh, a lot of the same reasons. Um, Eric said it's just it, it's really cool to see what goes on behind the scenes in the production of these games and and then like Donald said uh, the reviews is last because that's just somebody's opinion and everybody has their own opinion on things. So yeah. But our our opinions weigh a little bit heavier on your mind, right? Yes. Okay. Your opinions do. That's correct. Right. Just making sure. <laughs> no, good point, Eric. Way, way to bring that out, Eric. And, and for me, it's based on what yeah, I think. Sucking up to the yeah, guest. I know, of course I'm going to. Um, the, it's the hardest jobs in board gaming. So for me, it's um, production design and then review. I think managing the logistics and coordinating everything has got to be probably one of the hardest things you can do for bringing a game to the market. And there are about 2 million people waiting on their Kickstarter projects who would agree with you. <laughs> exactly. Mm. That's what I'm – yeah, exactly. And then design, yes, it's an incredibly hard task and just the criticism of it. But like all of us know, any monkey can review a game. <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got seven years of proof. All right. So here we go. Uh, my, my last question. And again, because you started in 2007, I got these as these are the top three grossing movies – of 2007 not top three gross movies top three grossing as in taking money all right here we go spider-man 3 shrek the third transformers oh oh gosh three stinkers yep i when i saw that i died laughing because holy cow said those were really three bad movies (laughs) all right so transformers the worst so i'm gonna put that at one the biggest defender transformers you know pretty much anything michael bay touches has you know even odds chance of being a steaming pile of anyway uh the other one was okay but before before you go on i just wanted to let you know if dan patrice of geek all stars is listening to this he's crapping his pants right now and punching his computer screen so he's the biggest defender of michael bay and transformers you know uh you know whatever (laughs) Uh, (laughs) not everybody has to have good taste or or judge based on quality that's okay He probably liked J.J. Abrams' Star Trek movies, too. So, you know, whatever. That's 
Donald Dennis at Onboard Games. <laughs> no, it's onboardgames.net at gmail.com. Um, and then the other one was what? Shrek the Third and what? Spider-Man, Spider-Man 3. 3. All right. So I refuse to see Spider-Man 3 on principle, on the principle that Sony screwed it up before it even got to the screen. So um, I, I can't judge that one. But Shrek the Third, its biggest failing was just that it was too centered in that time. It was still kind of funny when you saw it. But now it's like anybody who sees it is like, I'm laughing, but I don't know why. Wow. So I guess I guess Spider-Man 3 is the least of the offenders there because I don't know. I haven't seen it. Okay, so I would go with Spider-Man 3 first because of those movies, I guess I liked it the best. But that doesn't say much. Um, <laughs> I never actually saw Shrek the 3rd, or if I did, it, I just sort of forgot it. So, And... Transformers, I tell you, I was watching it, I was watching it, I was watching it. At the end, where it was Battle of the CGI Stars, I didn't know who was winning. I assumed that, I still don't know, I assumed the Autobots won. It was just some robot fighting some other robot. They all looked the same, so I just like, okay, whatever. Oh, well played, sir, well played. Um, Dan has blown a gasket. That's okay. <laughs> um, for me, Marty, it would be Shrek 3, Spider-Man 3, and then Transformers just for the alphabet, alphabetizing them. Oh, there you go. Oh, well, that's as good a reason as any. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, that's, dude, that's smart. I wish I had a thought of that now. Um, so here's the thing. I never Was Shrek the third the one when they had babies or something like that? It was all the ogre army, I think, and all that nonsense. Yeah, see, I, I vaguely remember that. So... God, you know what? I'm actually going to have to put Spider-Man 3 ahead of Transformers of, of being the worst because, oh my gosh, how do you take Venom and screw him up that bad? And they did it, and I was really insulted by that. So I would go Spider-Man 3 and Transformers, and i just throw Shrek the third down there because I, I never saw it, so I can't really compare it. And now for the last rank um as the crowd goes wild. I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited. <laughs> all right. So this is in honor of where Donald lives. And also, um, we just went through Ash Wednesday. So for those of you of the Catholic faith. That's why everybody wandering around the library looked like they'd been in a battle with a firebender yesterday. Yes, that's exactly right. Um, mahi, mahi, flounder, or shrimp? Well, shrimp is the only really good choice out of all those. <laughs> as any South Carolina, you know resident will tell you that our local shrimp are the ones you should be buying not those uh what uh not those mercury laden ones from china don't buy those and i apologize to both of your chinese listeners (laughs) and uh, i don't even know what the other two are because i'm from oklahoma and we don't really eat seafood unless it can hurt you okay interesting (laughs) yeah you only eat catfish lake food Um, lake food that's right uh all right so shrimp because i've always loved shrimp uh, I would probably go mahi mahi next because it's a it's kind of a tuna type fish, man. If you get like a good tuna steak and grill it sort of barely on and eat it like a hamburger, that's some really good stuff. Mm-hmm. And then flounder would be my least favorite. Yeah, I'm gonna have to go. You know the the white fish thing. I got to go with flounder first because I just like the fried flounder thing. Love going to fish camps, getting the flounder, then shrimp, and probably mahi mahi last because I know that's the the better fish, but it's very fish. Got, got a fishy taste, and I'm not into the really fishy taste thing, which is why I like the white fish. Um, and for me, the final for me would be um, flounder, cause yeah, fried flounder, then calabash style shrimp, and then but Eric mahi mahi, yeah, putting it on a roll, making it all. Oh, mm, those are some that's good sandwiches right there. So, 
Oh, I need to change mine. I want to put flounder first because it's kind of like this podcast. Just kind of flounder. <laughs> oh, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why we do what we do. <laughs> well, I'm going to be excited to come back to the show, and I will understand when Don doesn't. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. I've had a lot of fun. Well, guys, no, we really do appreciate, and we are so happy you came onto the show. I mean, it's it's an honor having you here. And seriously, like, well, I'm, you know, well, you need to ask Donald, but he might reject us, and I don't know if I could have handled that. So, thank you so much. <laughs> ask me first. I'm the nicer guy. I, I was like, I had, you know, I, I had you guys. Well, one of you who was at uh, ScarabCon on the show a year ago, and I was like, I, I never got the call checking my you know, spam filters and stuff, trying to figure out why I'd never heard back from you. And it just turns out I wasn't good enough until now, I guess. Oh, wow. It's going to be one of those type things. Okay. Um, I don't know how to redeem myself from that, except it, uh, Tony's the one that books the guests. So there you go. <laughs> well, thank you, Tony, for giving me the call. I appreciate it. And I appreciate that. the bus. So where can we find you gentlemen? I'm all over the wilds of the internet as Walsfio or on Twitter as Onboard Games. And Eric, where are you? I'm Eric, A-Y-R-K, on Board Game Geek, or you can visit my website at ericdewey.com. And our show's at onboardgames.net. Fantastic. And I will say this, even though you gentlemen are from all over the place, the fact that now... Uh, that Donald is in South Carolina. We claim you as one of our own, as one of the Carolinian podcast, uh, board game podcast, because there are a lot in the Carolinas. And uh, again, since you're, even though you're not natively from there, we'll still claim you as being from the Carolinas as uh, the Carolina league of podcasters. That that's it. And there are a lot of us, of course, now that we've probably ticked off Dan from geek all stars, that may be the end of that one. But anyway, <laughs> Love you, Dan. Thank you, too, so much for coming on, and uh, we'll definitely uh, need to have you back. Thank you very much for allowing us to come on. Sam Demas High School Rules. That was a lot of fun. Uh, being able to have those guys on who are you know experts, professionals, longtime veterans of the board game podcasting uh, community, have those guys on was, was, also was a lot of fun. So thanks again to uh, Donald and Eric for coming on. And you know what? We didn't tease this in the intro, but however, we've got a brand new segment that we are going to introduce today. Well, actually, Tony is going to introduce. Tell us about it. So I was talking to Marty about this and a young gentleman who grew up, uh, friends of our kids, you know, y'all here we always go to um, Kentucky to visit our friends. Well, one of their sons, and you'll hear this, he is a statistics major from Duke, uh, graduated with uh, like a 3.999 whatever from Duke, and now he's getting his PhD in statistics. And he loves playing board games. And I was talking to him. I said, hey, Taylor, wouldn't it be great if we could teach people how to apply statistics beyond just, oh, you know, Marty, uh, a D6 has a one in six chance, right? I think so. I didn't do so well in statistics, but anyway, go ahead. I'm with you. So wouldn't it be neat if we could take some of the popular games and just say, you know, when do you apply statistics? How can you apply it without going too deep in some of the stuff? Because, you know, I have to keep him high level because he has to explain it to me. So that's what we're going to do here, guys. We've got a, I'm going to spend a little amount of time, less than 10 minutes with Taylor, and we are going to talk about a new segment called Statistically Speaking. Hey guys, 
guys, and welcome to the first edition of a new segment called Statistically Speaking. Now, Marty has decided to bail on me for this, and he says, hey, dude, just just go run with this, so this way I can't be blamed if it falls flat. And I, I appreciate that, Marty, but he's actually stepped out from this recording, and I have brought in an expert, a, a good friend of mine. I've known him a long, long, long time, and we're just going to go with his first name so you, when, when you people start taking his advice, you can't really find him. So welcome to Rolling Dice and Taking Names, Taylor. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Very happy to be on the show. So like I was saying, I've known Taylor for a while, and Taylor has graduated recently from Duke University with a degree in statistics. And I said, you know, Marty, we need to bring someone on here that's smart, that can talk to us about statistics and games. Taylor, tell us a little history about statistics as in far as your background, why you chose statistics. Uh, I came to statistics through economics. So I was always interested in modeling how people make decisions, how, you know, economies work at a large scale. And statistics is basically the way that we can mathematically study large scale phenomena like that. So I look at data to, you know, see how is this stock market going to react to news? How are people going to react when a price goes up or down? And then on a more macro scale or, or on, a mark, on a more micro scale, basically, it's how can people make decisions in a optimal or in the best possible manner? OK, so you're going to help me retire early. Is that what I just heard? I'm going to help me retire early. Oh, man. Come on. Share the wealth, dude. I mean, I need a little help here. All right. But with that in mind, you can take that and apply it to games, can't you? So there's a lot of things in games that are uncertain. And so probability and statistics give us a way to get a handle on that uncertainty and use it to our advantage. Okay. But one thing I know for sure, and, and when people start talking about statistics, is they start using terms a little bit incorrectly. I know I do. So before we dwell into this, guys, we're going to lay some groundwork. We're going to put out some basic terms that Taylor's going to help me understand because to be honest with you, it's been a while since I did statistics. All I remember, Taylor, is there's a bell involved and uh, everything else is an average, but anyway, so for instance, let, let's take an example. When, when, when people talk about means and averages, is there a difference? It depends. So in a strict interpretation, they're the exact same thing. So a mean is, uh, just the weighted average. So we get everybody in the room, we add up their number. Maybe we want the average height of a man. We add up everybody's height. We divide by the number of people and that's our mean. Um, but it gets tricky when people actually use it in common language. So when we talk about an average person, um, there's a typical example where the average person has one testicle and one ovary, right? Dude, 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 we're a family show here, okay? I mean, uh, but that's okay. You can keep going down there. All right. That one caught me off guard. Ooh, okay. Anyway, keep going. We, we've got, we've got a, a ball to play with or an egg to play with. I'm with you. Okay. All right, so... But when people say average, a lot of times they mean something more like a median. So a median is if you lined up everybody in the room by height or something, the medium height would be the guy who's right in the middle. And so it really depends upon what you really want to know about. Do you want to about, know about the mean height of people or do you want to know about the median? And in a lot of cases, the mean and the median are very close to similar, but sometimes they're not. So like income, we say that we want to know about the mean income where it's somebody like Bill Gates is going to raise the mean income of any group that he's in, right? He's got yeah, billions right. and billions and everybody else is just going to pale in comparison. So the mean might be very high, but the median 
the value of people in the middle is actually going to be fairly resistant to outliers such as, as as Bill Gates. So in a lot of cases, that's more of what we mean when we say an average. Okay. So so you're going to keep me straight on this when we start applying this to dice, cards, whatever else I kind of dream up with. Okay, good. He's shaking his head, which means yes. So he's he's new to this podcasting thing, kind of like I am, but he he's he'll get his voice. So what other terms do people interchange that we're going to probably you know screw up at when we do this? Um, so there's a lot of confusion about randomness. Um, so a lot of people uh, have a Conception that, so say if you roll a dice a couple times and every single time it came up a two, um, some people would say that you are more likely to have a two come up next time because it's, you know, a lucky streak or a, um, a, that the dice somehow know that it's come up two a couple times and so it'll continue to go. Or maybe they'll be like, okay, a four has not come up in a long time. It's due for something. Um, and so it is and so it is likely that you're going to get a 4 after a long string of twos but it's not destined it's not like the dice is remembering exactly what it has rolled before i swear to you i no 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 those dice i know they memorize what they've come up with to screw me over in a game dude i'm sorry they do but you're saying they can't i'm saying if they did, you would have a different. Um, you would have. It would take somebody messing with them to do that. So, you, if you have a friend who likes to play practical jokes on you, that might be a valid, uh, a valid interpretation. But if it's just random dice, you're probably you're probably just making a uh, a false claim about the dice knowing something. So what you're saying is when people, unless the dice are loaded, you really can't blame it on the dice. Absolutely not. You can blame it on your poor ability to know the probabilities of the dice and to act accordingly, though. Oh, so to your point is it's not the dice fault. It's your inability to apply the statistics behind dice for your luck. Is that what you're saying? Yes. So... Everything's random, right? So you can't guarantee that you're going to get success, but you can put yourself in the best possible position to take advantage of whatever randomness may occur. And people, that's why Taylor's coming on the show right there. He is going to take his knowledge. And by the way, I would say his Duke education, you know, I'm going to brag on the boy for a little bit. All right. First off, he's getting his master's at some school where it's really cold. Carnegie Mellon. Is that correct? Indeed. All right. So he's getting his master's. He graduated with that three Latin words on a degree from Duke. So the boy knows what he's talking about. So if you want to put comments over at the BGG Guild questioning this, I advise you carefully. Because he's going to come over there and he will defend this statistic position. I know that. So once again, his job is to bring to our show to help you maximize the probabilities in the games that you're going to play. And we're going to try to teach you a little bit along those lines. So I hope that you gain some insight in that. So Taylor, I mean, you and I were talking beforehand about probabilities in games. So what you're saying is that if someone knows 
probabilities, they can help them enjoy a game better. Is that possible? Yeah, so totally. Um, so there's two ways this may work. So one, if you're all concerned about winning, um, probability and you know the decision-making that you can make based upon those probabilities is a good way to maximize your odds of success. Um, they could be the difference between you know, you winning and you coming just a little bit short. Um, more to the point, if you're just there to have fun, it's also nice to know about probabilities so that you know what to expect. Um, so if I'm playing a game and I want to do, uh, you know, just have some fun, it's nice to know if I can pursue a strategy that's going to be fairly likely to happen and then maximize my fun, or if I'm pursuing something that's very unlikely to happen and so I'm just going to be frustrated. Okay. So by knowing that some of the, uh, not strategic, that's not the word I want, but knowing some of the factors in the game, they're going to help you play the game better. Yes. Yes. Okay. And we're going to take some of the common games, guys, and we're going to apply that so that you can then take it to your games that you are playing and maybe help you with that. So summing it up, Taylor, because we don't want to go too long because I know, and when I was in college, by the, by now, you know, the professor would be talking and I'd be hearing, wah, 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 wah. terms, mean, average, and what else did you say? See, I, I just should have been taking notes. Uh, I think I just talked about mean and average, yeah. Okay, and then the randomness. Randomness. Random, yes, yeah. And how that applies. So, all right, so in our next segment, Taylor and I are going to talk about the very basics of dice probability, and we're going to go from there. So, appreciate you coming on, Taylor, and we'll talk to you in about another month. All right, Marty, I know we didn't go into a lot of depth in that interview, but in the next segment, in a little tease here, we're going to talk about expectations with dice. I know you're a proponent that dice have memory and they hate you. Taylor's going to try to explain to you how they don't hate you in the next segment. I won't be convinced of that because after playing all these games of XCOM I have recently and the fact that those suckers keep coming up on the first roll with blanks and a one on the alien die, no, those things really do hate me. Yeah, but they don't have memory. That's always been the argument. No, Dice they do. Are treating me okay. They do. All right. I'll, I'll let it go. <laughs> I know that, but it is true. I mean, we often do that, right? It's like, uh, so you and I were playing uh, Machi Koro the other night, first time you got to play that. Yes. And uh, remember, I took all those uh, like eight nines and ten cards, which steal things from people. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, eventually these have to come up because they haven't come up yet. Well, no, Marty, they don't have to because yeah, they may never come up because it's not like, oh, we haven't rolled an eight, nine or ten in a while. I guess we should do that. And again, they didn't do that because they do hate me. We'll let it go with that, and then we'll talk about that next. So the next segment coming out, we're going to be talking a little bit more about expectations, and that's going to be in probably another month or two. We'll see. I'll see if I can break Taylor away from his busy schedule and get another segment done. Can you believe $8.2 million or whatever it was? The exploding kitten Kickstarter. Is that what it ended up at? It's ridiculous. So I assume that broke the record for the most yes. board game. Oh my gosh, a little card game that was, was how much was it? $20, $25? I don't know. I don't care. So it was cheap. I'm just saying it was, you know, we, you hear a lot of these big Kickstarters that, you know, they have like a $100 price tag that makes millions. Mm -hmm. And this thing was a fraction of that and made $8 bucks. That's wild. Amazing. Okay, we got to come up with a card game. Throw in some zombies, some cats. Uh, what else would be good? Uh, zombies, cats, and... Maybe zombie cats or, or a box of poo or a box of unicorn poo or something. Some, you know, what you could do anything and we would be, we would be good to go. I'm telling you. 
a zombie left shark and cats. Done. We'll start working on it. Put it in our notes and we'll start working on it. That's just, that amazes me, but that that's okay. A lot of other news came out this week from guys. We're not going to spend a lot of time. We got another show. We'll be out in two weeks. But, but um, there was something else I wanted to mention to you, Marty, but you need to take the mic because I've just forgot what it was. Well, I would like to take a second to thank all those that nominate us for a Golden Geek Award on Board Game Geek. This Nomination came in a couple weeks ago, and we didn't mention it before. I have mentioned it a couple times on Twitter and posted in our Guild page if you'd like to go subscribe there. Thank all those so much that, that voted for us. That came out of the blue, Tony. I was not expecting to see our name on that list at all. I wasn't either in there with a, a lot of good company. And thank you, guys. Um, more than we ever thought, you know, starting a year ago, we were happy to have are beyond our family listening. So you guys, thank you so much. We really do appreciate it. And by the time this show comes out, voting will have closed and we'll know if we're 15th or fifth. You know, so then put us up in the top one, two or three morning. Yeah. I don't even know if they show where you rank or where they just name who wins. And you know, it's not like we have really? any delusions of grandeur that we're going to win. That's not the case at all. But oh, again, God. with, with, the, with so many shows out there just to be, to make the top 15, um, that, that just really meant a, a lot to Tony and I, and, um, you know, moon pies for everyone. Yeah, that's, that's out of your wallet. <laughs> You can get a box of 24 at Sam's for $8. Go calculate. Real quick, there was a confusion on the Broken Token contest. And just to be clear on this, for those that, I mean, there was some a little confusion about, oh, I get any insert. No, the, this contest is for either the Dead of Winter or the seven, the new Seven Wonders with the Babel expansion. That's what this contest is for. Be sure to go out there and... Um, post your picks either i hid the contest in a cute little bgg forum thing and you you'll figure it out or tweet it out marty's got that all monitored yeah you can tweet it out to hashtag rdtn look at this mess uh or you can put it on facebook if you follow our facebook page I also have a thread there where people have been posting picks too but yeah i think there was some confusion the idea was show us why you need either the seven wonders or the dead of winter um insert and we'll we'll pick the top one so if you've already submitted something you want to resubmit uh, feel free to go ahead. We'll, we will take all the entries and look at them. Uh, Tony and I are planning on getting these inserts as he and I need both of those. Seven Wonders for himself, Dead of Winter for me. And I've already been thinking about it. And I will probably do another one of my infamous, not famous, but infamous shake test for Dead of Winter. Oh, cool. For this shake test, I will just tease this. I am a child of the 80s. Go on, Kimosabi. No, that'd be the 70s, wouldn't it? <laughs> Yeah, I've already done that one anyway. Jump on it. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's right. You did, didn't you? I did. Um, <clears throat> so I know what to expect here. Unfortunately, I think I know you well enough to where I, we got that figured out. <sighs> that's okay. So, yes. And also, I'll probably get some time to come over there, and hopefully you and I can um, maybe put them together, try, try to video that up, and we'll definitely do the speed up and go there, and we'll record those as well. One for each of them. There we go. Um, and last but not least, I think that we are... Oh, uh, don't forget about the worker placement one Okay, for Harbor. Don't forget about that contest. That's a, a monkey survey, and we'll put that link back in there. All these contests end on the um, St. We said St. Patty's Day, right, Marty? Yes, March 17th. Well, it's of March is the 15th, right? Correct. 17th St. Patty's Day. I'm, I'm part Irish. Same here, McRee. Anyway... 
we appreciate you taking the time to listen to Rolling Dice and Taking Names, and we'll be back in two weeks. As always, keep rolling dice and taking names. Follow us on Twitter at Dice and Names. Visit our website, RollDiceTakeNames.com. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, Roll Dice Take Names. Visit our guild on BGG. Like us on Facebook. Thanks, y'all. Well, this has been an evening to remember. Why? I forget. (laughs) Thank you for checking out a United Geeks Network family member. If you enjoyed it and are looking for other online media with a geek culture slant, head over to unitedgeeksnetwork.com where you will find Geek Girl Weekly. Have you ever wondered what goes through the mind of a gamer girl? Hear for yourself as Jill gives you a look into her geeky world. The United Geeks Network. You can broadcast your geekiness at unitedgeeksnetwork.com.